If you would turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, we're starting in verse 1. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about the villages teaching. This is the last passage before a transition in Jesus' ministry. Next week, we're going to read about him sending out his disciples. It's good to look back here at where we've come. Two weeks ago, Pastor Preston suggested that it's a good thing to read the whole book rather than just getting isolated passages. Anybody take them up on that? Well, we're going to be in Mark for a while, so you still have a chance to um, read the whole book. I encourage you to do it. When he said that, he reminded me of when I was in high school, and I've told you before that I went on deputation with my father. Um, Deputation is when missionaries go trying to raise support, primarily from churches. We attended a couple weeks long missions conferences, and the main speaker at one of these conferences talked about studying the Bible. And he suggested that you should take the book you were studying and read it through every day, then read, then study the passage you were studying. Now, um, depending on how long the book is, that could take a while. You might want to start with Jude or 3 John, probably not Psalms. Um, For most of us, maybe all of us, that seems like just too much time. Can I spend an hour, hour and a half a day reading Mark? How about once a week? Once a month? Um, Let's try. Next Bible study thing. Does everyone over the age of seven have a study Bible? Or your online version has notes and commentary? Why did I say seven? I don't know. Anybody who can read can read the Bible. 
And anybody who's old enough to have a phone is old enough to have a study app on their phone, right? We've all heard about the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. Verse 11 says, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They had Old Testament writings like the synagogue in Nazareth that we'll be looking at this morning. They read the scripture, they discussed it, they challenged the things they heard. And because of this, many of them believed when Paul preached about Jesus. A quick review in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we would see the churches that John wrote to. And youth group, you guys will be coming to this shortly. Several of the churches are commended, they get the attaboys, for their faithfulness to the word. But some are condemned because they tolerate unbelief. They tolerate false teaching. What we do with the word of God is critical to our lives and to the life of our church. So, back to Mark. Who has a cross-reference to Matthew 13, 53 to 58? Everybody? So, verse 53 gives us the time and place, sort of. It says, after teaching people with parables, so there's our time, he went away from there, we think probably Capernaum, and coming to his hometown, Nazareth, he taught them in their synagogue. This passage looks really similar to what we just read in Mark chapter 6. And we'll come back to verse 58 later. Does anyone have a cross-reference to Luke 4, 16 to 30? says in Luke 4, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Jesus read from Isaiah 61, and then he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He was saying he was the one the prophecy was about. He was saying he was the Messiah. And what was their reaction? They were filled with wrath, verse 28. This wasn't just angry. This was angry on steroids. This was triggered. They rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him off the cliff. They wanted to kill him. No mention here of being amazed at his teaching or his miracles. No mention of his being the son of Mary or his brothers and sisters. No mention of the disciples being with him. If Pastor Preston was right that it was a good thing for us to read the whole book of Mark, maybe it's a good thing, do you think, to read the whole book of Luke? So if you'll turn to Luke 1, no, um, 
without reading the whole book, if we go to the beginning of Luke 4, we see that Jesus is being tempted by Satan. Now, we studied that in Mark 1. If we continue reading, we get to chapter 5, where Jesus calls his disciples, which we also studied in chapter 1. Luke 4 is probably about a year earlier than Mark 6. So this is Jesus returning to Nazareth. Back to Mark 6, chapter 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. Who and what are disciples? In Mark 1, verse 16, we read, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. A couple of verses later, we see James and John left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Jesus called out to specific men and told them to literally follow him. A few weeks ago, Brent preached about Jesus calming the storm. There were disciples in the boat with him, and there were other people in other boats who were following along. Brent asked us if we wanted to be with Jesus wherever he goes, wherever he might lead us. After that storm, Jesus and his followers, the disciples, got to the other side of the sea, and Jesus healed a man, freeing him from a legion of demons. That man wanted to go with Jesus. But Jesus told him to go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. For that man following Jesus did not mean literally going wherever Jesus went. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul tells the people in Corinth to be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. As I follow Christ, you copy me. We'll come back to this verse. Disciples follow their leader. Have you ever played follow the leader? I want to tell you about a young leader. His name was Frank. This is my fourth grade class, and uh, we're on a hill up above our school. You can't see that there's another hill up that way, and there's the basketball court, and the tennis court, and the volleyball court and the dams with the fish in them and way in the back is the soccer field and the track and um, just see these 
wonderful little kids. And, and I'm sure some of you are wondering which one is me. And just, just like now, look for the coolest looking, best looking, and then look for someone else. Um, so Frank is the one in the front right there. And uh, we'll skip the connections to the Hardy Boys. Um, but Frank would be the guy in those memes about why women live longer than guys. <laughs> Athletic, fearless, climb higher, jump farther. He'd say, come on, guys, you can do it. On Sunday afternoons, after rest hour, it was time to go on a hike. This is one of the places that we would, that we hiked to. So my question for all of you um, is, what would you name the rock at the top of the hill? And no, Pastor John, it is not Turkey Rock. I was going to say that any normal person would come up with the answer, but I talked to a few people who I normally count as normal, and they didn't recognize it either. So I'll tell you. Um, well, I'll give you a hint. John, if you could put the hint on there. The next one. There you go. Now can you see it? It's Camel Rock. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. Okay. So Camel Rock. Um, and uh, now I realize that in that picture, it's a little difficult to tell how big that is. There's really nothing to... I mean, for all you know, it could be this big. So... I've got another picture with some people in it, so you can get the scale. So that is people on the nose of the camel. So Camel Rock is a large rock on a large hill with lots of big rocks. Great place to climb and a great place to follow the leader, or not. Um, we followed Frank. We went where he went. We wanted to see Frank make the climb, make the jump. Sometimes we followed his footsteps. Sometimes we said, hard pass. No, we didn't. That wasn't around yet. But um, sometimes we went a safer route. You got to, you know, sometimes you get smarts has to work. Okay, back to Mark 6. When Jesus said, let's go to Nazareth, what do you think his disciples, his followers, thought? Would the disciples have tried to talk him out of it? Would they have reminded him, uh, they tried to kill you last time? In a couple of years, Jesus will tell his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. We see that in Mark 8. We see that in Matthew 16, verse 21. What was Peter's response? No way, Jesus can't do that. This must never happen. And what was Jesus' response? The harshish, harshest rebuke he could have given his disciples. What did he say? Get behind me, Satan. That's what he said back in Luke 4 to Satan. 
But here in uh, Matthew 16, he says it to, to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Sometimes following Jesus is the hard way. A few days or weeks ago in the disciples' time frame, they were afraid in that storm. They, told, they said to Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? But today, they followed him to Nazareth. They were starting to understand who Jesus was. They were learning to trust him. Back to Frank for a moment. We had complete, okay, we had trust that he could do whatever heroic feat he set his mind to, but we didn't trust that he could pass on that ability to us. He was an amazing kid, but he was just a kid like we were. Mark 6, verse 2. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Now, they've heard about these mighty works. They've seen and heard now his speaking. They were amazed at his words. And we've seen that reaction from many others in these previous chapters of Mark. Jesus didn't go to seminary. He didn't even go to Moody Bible Institute. They didn't understand where he got this from. They thought they knew him. Where did he get it? Now remember in chapter 3, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons he casts out the demons. Do these people in Nazareth think maybe he's got, he got this power and this wisdom from Satan? Well, if they thought it, this time they didn't say it. They didn't deny his teaching. It was amazing. They didn't deny his miracles. They were amazing too. But they didn't trust him. They didn't believe in him. Verse 3, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. The people in the synagogue in Nazareth knew Jesus as one of them. They thought they knew who he was. He grew up there. He was the carpenter the son of Joseph the carpenter. He probably made things for them or fixed things for them until a year ago when he closed up shop and went off and started teaching and doing miracles. We know his family. He can't be special. Jesus' brothers and sisters 
fall in this same category. We're not told that here, but we're told that elsewhere. They didn't trust him. They took offense at him. I had to look this one up because I never take offense nor cause offense. I'm glad it's just laughter, no throwing up. One dictionary says, to take offense means to become angry or upset by something that another person has said or done. Ever happened to you? You ever caused somebody that? Another says, if someone takes offense at something you say or do, they feel upset, often unnecessarily, because they think you are being rude to them. Do you ever notice the most obnoxious, offensive people try to blame you for being offended at them, at what they did? I read a psychology article that listed five factors that determine the intensity of the offense. And I'm not going to give you any of those five, but the conclusion was we have a choice to take offense. Mark doesn't give us a lot of detail here. He simply says, they took offense at him. The Holy Son of God stood in their midst and they rejected him. It's critically important that we see Jesus as who he is, revealed in the scripture, not as we might hope, wish, want him to be. We don't get to make God in our own image. But we do have to we do have to choose to recognize who he is and submit to him. Verse 4. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Now, if we read about the prophets in the Old Testament, we would know that this is a common thing. Prophets are rejected in their own hometown. I can hardly read this verse without thinking of Pastor Preston. I am so thankful that God called Pastor Preston to come back to his hometown, to his home church, and be one of our leaders. I pray that we will continue to choose to not take offense. Did I just compare Pastor Preston to Jesus? In the sense that Jesus was a prophet to his own people? Yes, I did. Thank you, Pastor Preston, for being here. Verse 5. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Did their reaction take Jesus' power away? so that he couldn't do miracles? No. And yes. Jesus commended the woman who was bleeding for having faith. 
He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. He said to Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, whose daughter was dying and had died before they got there, do not fear, he said, only believe. One commentator put it this way, their reaction cost them his power. I'll say that again. Their reaction cost them his power. No, their unbelief did not affect Jesus' power, but yes, it did cause him to not use it in their presence. Jesus' miracles were not a carnival show for people's entertainment. They were to demonstrate who he was, God. When they rejected him, he moved on. Remember after Jesus freed that man from the demons and the villagers came out, what did they say? They begged him to leave. And what did Jesus do? He left. I won't steal Brent's message next week about the, uh, when Jesus sent out his disciples and told them to leave where they were not received. I said we would come back to Matthew 13, 58. Matthew 13, 58 says, and he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Daniel Aiken put it this way, their unbelief hindered Jesus from having a greater ministry among them. If they had believed, he would have stayed longer, teaching them and healing them. Verse 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the villages teaching. They were amazed at what he said and did. Jesus was amazed that they didn't believe it. And he moved on. This is probably the last time he came to Nazareth. So this passage looks back at what the disciples have already learned. Jesus called them to follow him. He demonstrated his power over life and death and sin. And he called them to trust him. It also looks forward to what is next, directly next for the disciples, being sent out to teach and do miracles. It looks forward to the Last Supper, where Jesus tells them, you will be rejected. It looks forward through 2,000 years of church history, and Jesus called them, and he calls us to obey. Disciples obey their leader. I'm going to revisit Frank one more time. Frank tried things he probably shouldn't have risked. He encouraged impressionable boys to try things and take risks that maybe they shouldn't have taken. My last question for the kids is, is it okay to follow your friends? And this question really isn't just for the kids. Is it okay to follow 
your friends. It certainly is okay if they're following Jesus. As Paul said back in 1 Corinthians 11, this time from the ESV, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Are you following someone who is imitating Christ? Are you imitating Christ so that someone can follow you? And at nine, we talked about fathers and we talked about our everlasting father. And uh, Randy gave us fathers just a little challenge. Um, How are we doing? Moms and dads, can your kids follow you? Are we imitating Christ so that someone can follow us?